What is up, wrestling fans? We are back. It's true. It's damn true. Welcome to a brand new episode of Ringside Rewind. I am, of course, one half of your podcast, Wrestling Tag Team Champions of the World. For sure, aka Snaggle Jane. As always, with the hot tag, it's my main man, Mr. Chris snaggle jay how's it going glad to be back glad to be anywhere and we're ready to talk some wcw Woo. and the first wcw pay-per-view is what that's, we're going to talk about today. that's the thing you know what a very monumental event in the in the wrestling landscape sort of similar to what we talked about last time when we talked about new year's revolution it wasn't the greatest pay-per-view of all time but a very timeline altering event you may say and you could uh there's some comparables uh with this week's episode um because we're going to be talking about wrestle war 1991 uh which was the first wcw branded pay-per-view that's right but, but before we get there that's right we have been off for a little bit. I've been doing the rebounds, but some things have kind of been happening in the background. So you and I haven't really had a chance to talk a lot about what's kind of been going on currently. So we're going to take a couple of minutes, go over a couple things. You said you have some hot takes. Well, I just... What is your hot takes? You know what? Here's the thing, right? So we're off the heels. We're a week removed now from what... Tony Khan had billed as whatever the hell he billed last week's episode of Dynamite was. I don't even want to get into that rat's nest because that was that was ugly. Uh, the the never ending stream of tweets and forbidden doorness, and then he admitted afterwards he used forbidden door in the wrong context. But we're a week removed as of the airing of this of the debuts on AEW programming of. Switchblade Jay White and Keith Lee, who came out to listen. Keith Lee, maybe the 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 most obvious AEW debut we've seen to date. But holy hell, the pop that he got, and a great guy to put him up against with Isaiah Cassidy, young guy. You know that when he did the pulled him out of the corner and threw him across the ring. Like I, the I uncle, the that uncle like, Phil Beal. I, I, I watched that like seven times, but what it really, what it really got me thinking about was just how criminally misused Keith Lee was in WWE and got me thinking into some other guys that for the love of God, I hope their contracts expire because to me right now, WWE is in this vicious cycle of uh, Goldberg appearances. <laughs> For uh, you know, you've got Goldberg in a title match. You've got Lita uh, also in a title match. I believe. Um, I don't even know. Like I, it's yeah. unwatchable at this point. But like it, the whole Keith Lee thing just got me thinking about guys like like Bobby Roode, for example, right. I know he's had some runs, some pretty, he's had a pretty good tag team run with Ziggler, but like criminally underused for as good of a guy as he is. You know, he could talk, he could wrestle. Dude was so over in NXT with the glorious gimmick. 
And then he gets to the main roster and it's, Hey, we'll give you a run as a mid card tag team. We'll throw the straps on you for a little bit at a time where new day had the other straps. So nobody gave a crap about Ziggler and rude. Um, it's, it got me down that rabbit hole of just thinking, man, like we're in such a, it's not a competition between the two companies because the goals of the two companies are completely different. AEW is trying to build a wrestling promotion where if you watched last week's dynamite, which I'm going to just assume that you did because I know you did because we were texting back and forth about it during it. Yes. Last week's dynamite minus one or maybe both of the women's matches. Although I do like the Serena Deeb gimmick thing that they've got going on right now i think that's going to be really cool i think that's going to end up leading to somebody like big debuting that can beat her a la taz with kurt angle you know um in the uh the you know when kurt angle was doing the the open challenges or um when bobby lashley broke the master lock like i love when they do that because you know it's going to lead to something big right but like last week's episode of dynamite was better than anything WWE has put out there in the last year. And it's not close. An episode, no, not and, and I'm talking like you compare that episode of dynamite to the Royal rumble. And I know apples and oranges, but still from a wrestling fan level, I would have rather watched the dynamite 10 times out of 10. Great wrestling, somewhat coherent storylines, not being force fed the same crap of Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns and Goldberg over and over and over. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what WWE is trying to do anymore. Well, they're trying to make content. They're not a wrestling company anymore. Yeah, exactly. They're a content company. Yeah. That makes their money selling their content to streaming platforms and television networks. Yeah. And as it doesn't matter what, like I get a kick of it because I am a subscriber to the wrestling observer because for this show and for the rebound and because I like it. And I just, the past week, the um, one he put out was three quarters rating stuff. And I'm going, ratings don't matter anymore. Dave, this is not the Monday night wars. Yeah. Like nobody is thinking in two years when the dynamite contract is up that, Turner's going to dump AEW. I don't think that's right now. That is not even in the realm of possibility. It is more likely that they re-sign them again for more money and add another hour to rampage. Yeah. I think, and you you hit the nail on the head right there with WWE becoming a content company, because to me, I no longer need to watch their, weekly television programming to engage with their product. I thoroughly enjoy WWE's uh, non-wrestling show content that they produce on the network. I love the Icon series, the 24 series. Um, you know, like most things, like again, the, the, the documentary they did about Edge's return. I mean, that was like, that was good stuff. That was great. Broken Skull Sessions. Broken Don't, skull, I like, never miss it. Like, and, and so to me now, like I don't watch raw. I watch the raw highlights on YouTube. I don't watch SmackDown. And again, 
maybe, maybe that's what they want. Because, like, again, they have these clips up so fast. And I think it's interesting because when you look at AEW, right, they have no need for a a quote-unquote network. They have no libraries to pull from. They have no original content. And they have a very large footing on YouTube where if they wanted to put out that original content, they and they do, right? I mean, they do have some original content. They usually do the road to episodes with some behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, But, like, again, to them, the content is secondary to the in-ring product. I was listening because it showed up in my YouTube earlier today, and I was just kind of doing stuff. A Cornette thing came up. Oh God! And yeah, and it taught. He was talking about Keith Lee's. No, sorry, Switchblade Jay White's debut last week, which was the other debut that happened on Dynamite. Mm-hmm. And he was complaining about Rapongi Vice showing up on Dynamite. Oh, you know, nobody ever. You know, what are they coming flying out of a helicopter or whatever Cornette says, and. Nobody in the United States knows anything about these guys. And Beretta was in WWE and nobody cared. And he is so backwards because Mm -hmm. one of the, and what, what reminded me of it was you saying, talking about YouTube. One of the things he said was that if it doesn't happen on the TV shows, it doesn't matter. Which I think is, (laughs) yes, exactly. It's completely a 180 to what AEW is doing where dark and dark elevation on the YouTube is the YouTube. I sound like I'm 57 years old (laughs) on YouTube is important shows for developmental moving storylines, getting guys who can't be the two hours on, on dynamite, getting them reps. Or one thing I hadn't realized until I read about it earlier today was that's where they put the hometown guys sky blue when they were in Chicago, uh, John silver, when they were in New Jersey, like that's where they put the big pops that don't necessarily fit on television because you can't put everybody on TV every week. Right now, the Dark Order is getting a rest off of television, but they're on the YouTube shows that get a pretty decent viewership, and they're good shows. And if uh, Turner or Warner or whoever owns, I think it's Discovery is going to own them here soon, um, want to, they can turn those shows into ready-made HBO Max content. So, Dark Elevation from last week has just under 300,000 views. Uh, Dark, so a day newer, has 255,000 views. That's not nothing. No, it's not. Compared to, now to give you, a, just, just for some comparison purposes, the number two moment of the week from last week was a clip of Keith Lee's debut. Uh, to uh, 1.9 million views, uh, which makes number- sense because it's a moment, it's four or five minutes long, yep. it's not a 45 minute show. That's right. 
number three moment of the week, uh, which was some clips of the CM Punk uh, John Moxley tag match, 2.1 million views, which is pretty good considering when the AEW YouTube channel only has 3 million subscribers. Yes. So that's a pretty good view rate. They do a great job of pushing it on social media. And here's the thing. And this is why I really, to be honest, I can't listen to Jim Cornette and a lot of these other quote unquote old school talking heads because they refuse to acknowledge that we live in 2022. Yes. If you were watching Dynamite and you don't know who Rapungi Bice is, guess what people did? They paused the show, Googled it on their phone or Googled it on their phone in commercial and looked it up. This isn't 1994 where you have to go to a library to access whatever's on the internet or to look at an encyclopedia or look at a newspaper. But And Excalibur's people, good at that stuff where yes. he will say, like, they part of the show has been where Rocky Romero has in, extended the invitation to all of the best friends to yeah. be members of Chaos, which is a faction in New Japan. Like and ex- he made that invitation when they come back. Uh, Excalibur explained what that meant. Yeah, you know, so like it's not exactly as if they're flying in out of nowhere with this yeah. stuff. It's just you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the the adage that I will use, and this may be a little bit out there, but I think get it. Are you familiar with the History Channel program, The Curse Folk Island? Yes. Okay, so have you watched many episodes of it? Like none. Like oh, none. Okay, so none. they're in season nine of this program. So we're talking hundred hundred plus episodes. I've watched almost all of them. I'm about halfway through the new season. But in a forty eight minute episode, thirty minutes of it is recapping what has happened previously. If they're showing somebody on the screen for the 17th time in an episode, the announcer will say their full name and what they do. It's incredibly annoying as a fan of the show to be constantly spoon fed the same information. This is exactly what WWE does. They assume you are watching Raw and SmackDown for the very first time. And that you've never watched wrestling in your life. So you get a you get recap after recap after recap. Back in the day, in air quotes, we used to get the the promo packages for you know pay per views because in a lot of times if you didn't if you missed an episode you had no way to catch up on it. If you were somebody who only bought the pay per views, right? There wasn't the internet and the network to go catch up on. But now that's not a problem. Everybody who wants to stay connected to whatever the hell they want to stay connected to, can stay connected. AEW makes you earn it to a certain extent. How long did it take someone to Google what the hell Rapunky Vice is? 30 seconds. But you had to put that effort in. That's what If they like care, they may just be watching the show. That's like, they may not like care. Jim Cornette yeah. refuse to understand is that we do not live in a world where you have to overproduce and remind everybody of everything all the time that people who watch wrestling are smart enough 
to if they want to figure it out, they will figure it out. And I know we've gone down the path, but it's just to me, we're at this crux where it's like, man, other than this podcast, I have no reason to follow WWE anymore. I'm completely done with their product. Um, The Royal Rumble exposed to me that they have no creative writing process anymore. They have no forethought of what they want to do. The fact that we're getting Ronda and Charlotte at WrestleMania instead of Ronda and Becky is should be a criminal offense. And I know there's a lot of time for us to get there, but the fact that you just don't come out on Raw and have Ronda call out Becky and just light that candle and let that crap burn for three months is criminal horrendous booking. But you know I, why they're doing it? Because because they're a content company and not a wrestling company. They are building through that content to do Becky Ronda next year at WrestleMania. Yeah, you imagine. 15 months. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So now, okay, can I, that was your hot take. Can I have oh, a yes. few seconds for my hot take? Yes, you can. I cannot believe the audacity of New Japan Pro Wrestling. What have they done now? You know that I am a huge fan of the man we like to call Murder Grandpa, Minoru Suzuki. They have placed him in a match because you know he is the provisional king of pro wrestling in New Japan. He has a trophy and everything. He won it back at. Uh, uh, up at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. And he, part of that championship is that the fans decide the stipulations for the title matches. And I can't believe the bloodthirstiness of these people <laughs> to to do that. Like, I'm, I'm actually highly offended. I, he's, he's facing Toru Yanu uh, at the... Uh, Golden uh, New Year's Golden Series on this coming Sunday. And the match that they're going to have, the winner of which will become the provisional KOPW 2022 champion, will be a dog cage match where the only way to win is to lock your opponent inside a dog cage. Can you imagine? That sounds pretty ridiculous. I think it's going to be absolutely amazing and worth my $10 or 999 yen subscription to New Japan World this month. It's going to be amazing because the thing with Suzuki is that while he can kill you with just a look of his eyes, he also is pretty good at the comedy side as well. Right. Uh, if you've never seen his empty a stadium match he had i forget who it was with but they had a it in the tokyo dome only it was set up for baseball and um he did his entrance the whole thing including climbing in through the ropes when there was no ropes because it was a baseball field and it was just the comedic timing was amazing so him in a uh dog cage match which I don't know about you. I think I should be getting residuals of 
because I locked my brothers, my brother in dog cages for years up and down the highways of the Atlantic provinces going to dog shows with my mother. Like, you know, so I should be getting residuals. But that's my hot take is that New Japan is are bloodthirsty for doing the uh, dog cage match. And I've seen the dog cage that they're using. I'm pretty sure it came out of my basement. Okay. Hey, so I listen, I'm I'm with you on that one. <laughs> get the dog, get the dog cages out. Let's go. It's gonna be a good time. You know Wrestle what? Wrestle War. Well, speaking, 91, of, speak, speaking uh, of cages, what a listen. You are by far the master of the segue because we've got cages in this one. The main event, War Games, double cage. Um, but yeah, the very first WCW branded pay-per-view, Wrestle War 1991, February 24th, 1991, coming up on the third, what's that, 30 31st first anniversary from the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Phoenix, Arizona. The attendance was 6,800. Why is that significant? CD is going to tell you why it is significant. So one of the reasons it's significant is back in the day when it came to the war between WCW and WWF at the time is what WWF would do is the night before the pay-per-view WCW would be running, they would run a house show in the same market. So WWF ran a show in Phoenix the the Saturday night before. It drew 4,800 paying tickets out of 6,000 people in the building with a reported gate of about $60,000. Now, one of the reasons they did this is they would run the show long to try to lessen the walk-up to the next afternoon's show for WCW. Because, hey, look, we can go to two wrestling shows on the weekend. Tickets for both, probably not super expensive. So you could go to both. But if you're at a show until, especially you got a couple of kids, a show until 11 o'clock or midnight, you're not necessarily going to go, and you would know this, better than I would with two kids Yeah, that you're not going to haul them to another show. Like they may have had a great time on the Saturday night show, but if they're out too late, yeah. you're not necessarily going to take them to a Sunday afternoon. No, you're, you might find something a little easier to do the next day or just stay the hell home, especially if you're local, Ex- which, exactly. and, and, and again, and back in these days, you know, with uh 6,800 seat arenas, not a lot of people were traveling all over hell's creation to catch a wrestling show. Um, and I mean, here's the thing, right? 1991, February, you've got, what are you doing at this point? I mean, you're building towards, uh, slaughter and, uh, slaughter is slaughter and Hogan or slaughter and warrior. Uh, in February would have been slaughter slaughter Hogan. That's right. Yeah. So you're here. So here's the thing. It's February 24th. So February 23rd, you're airing this show. You're a month away from WrestleMania, which was Slaughter and Hogan in the main event. Okay. So I'm going to give you the matches and you tell me what you think. You know, a couple of words or less. The first match, when you're walking through the door, you have bought your foam finger. You got your t-shirt on. The first match that you're seeing is the Barbarian 
feet, uh, uh, beating Coco Beware in eight minutes and 40 seconds. Everybody loves the Birdman. Great, great opening match. Great opening match. Bar- maybe not Barbarian, but everybody loves the Birdman. But he also, remember, this is the beginning. This is just after the breakup of the Powers of Pain. Both these guys are still kind of just getting their feet wet yeah. when it came to their singles pushes. Trying to Speaking see if Barbarian of- could get over it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, the next match was in the best of 27,323 series. It was Davy Boy Smith beating the Warlord in 10 minutes oh, and 38 seconds. This match had to be horrible. Like, they're, like for as much as these guys wrestled, I don't think they ever had a good match. Next. Uh, okay, so the third one's probably was pretty good. It was the Hurt Foundation uh, beating Power and Glory, defending the WWF Tag Team titles. That went uh, 14 minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah. I mean, you're just coming into the Heart Foundation Prime. Power and Glory is still kind of hanging around at the top of the tag team division, even though they're not really one of the best tag teams. Um, but these guys had pretty good chemistry, so I'm sure it was probably a good match. And the finish was probably not terrible. They did the whole small package, and Hercules yeah, yeah. switched it over, and blah, blah, blah. Problem with it was, it took about 40 seconds to do it. Oh, love it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so match number four. Piper and Mr. Perfect uh, in a Intercontinental title match. Piper wins uh, in 11 minutes and 12 seconds by count out. Probably pretty fun because Mr. Perfect's a bump man and Piper would have just, he'd have bounced yeah. all around the world for Piper. I feel like Piper and Perfect would have worked a great program together. I know we did, I don't think we ever got uh, Piper and Perfect uh, like, like actual program, like, you know, like with, with, with televised matches and, and pay-per-view blow offs and stuff. I think they would have had some really good chemistry, but again, I'm always, I'm a big fan of both of them. I'm a huge Mr. Perfect Mark. Um, and you're right. I mean, he would have probably carried this match with some, with some crazy bumps. And then you have Piper's antics. I feel like this would have been, uh, this probably would have been the crowd's favorite match. Well, I can tell you what probably wasn't their favorite match. Jimmy Snuka and Haku for 12 minutes and 17 seconds. I love Haku. I think I could watch Haku like matches all the time just because he's so tough and he's like, he can do stuff. Mm. Jimmy Snuka in 1991. Like we're heading to him losing to Undertaker at WrestleMania. Yeah. I I believe so. Uh, Hold on. I believe that is correct. Uh, yes, yeah. he would lose to Undertaker in four minutes and 20 seconds. Um, and that probably went about four minutes too long. Well, that's the thing. Here's my thing. I don't necessarily hate Jimmy Snuka and Haku in a match, but 12 minutes and 17 seconds, I don't care if it's on a house show, like uh, like something in the town square. That is <laughs> a, That is a criminal offense. That, that would be one of those matches you would see on primetime. The fact this wasn't a 14-second Haku squash makes it completely irrelevant. Uh, Bushwhackers and the uh, Orient Express in eight minutes and 44 seconds. I mean, everything the Bushwhackers touch turns to crap. Um, Come in, do the walk, do the headbutt thing, lick some some kid in the front row, which you can't do these days. (laughs) Yay! Uh, Jake Roberts and Rick Martell was the next match. Uh, 
Were we Robert in this? Lins- were we in the blindfold? We were in the blindfold uh, thing at this point. Were we not? Yes. Yeah, because that. Yeah, that was was heading to WrestleMania. With WrestleMania, that. they had the blindfold match. Okay, so I dug that. I think you're because this is this is after or before he did the stuff with the Undertaker. After, right? Uh, Roberts was like Roberts was trying to. Roberts. No, this is before because Roberts and the Undertaker. Roberts beat our Undertaker beat Roberts at eight because that was Roberts. Yes. Okay. That's right. Okay. I was like, again, you still, you got Roberts as a face here. Um, everybody hates Rick Martel, which is exactly what they wanted you to do. So I, I, I dug this storyline, so I'm sure the match was okay. And your main event was in a cage match, by the way, Sergeant Slaughter beating the ultimate warrior in 19 minutes and 37 seconds. The match started at 10.53 p.m. Yeah, these guys just eating up the building. Um, Again, this match relatively pointless because you're building to Slaughter and Hogan. So really kind of pointless in terms of why you got the warrior out there. Um, But hey, I mean, it is what it is, right? It's Hogan's not doing house shows, brother. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing, right? Slaughter just took the belt off of Warrior a few weeks before um, in the at the Royal Rumble. So, like, you're not getting the return match because he's going on to Hogan, who won the Rumble. So it's like, well, what difference does it make, right? And you got to remember, at this point... Um, the rumble did not guarantee you the main event spot at WrestleMania, right? That didn't start till 93, right? but Hogan who won the rumble was named the number one contender, most likely because they didn't want to put the strap back on warrior. Well, warrior. Well, remember where we were in 1991 at this time, this is golf war one. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is Hogan. Yeah, yeah. This is this is Hogan wrapped up in red, white, and blue. Yeah. The Res- WrestleMania was supposed to be at the LA Coliseum. Yeah. It got moved to the sports arena because choose your own adventure. Either A, there was terrorist um threats against uh, the LA Coliseum for the slaughter angle, or B, they weren't selling enough tickets to fill the Coliseum. Um so you're kind of you got Hogan all wrapped up in that. Warriors doing the the career match with Macho Man to that leads to the SummerSlam uh match made in heaven, match made in hell. Like everything's kind of moving towards where we're where we're going yeah. at WrestleMania. So the stars align to bring back good old American Hulk Hogan. And and forget that the Ultimate Warrior ever existed for a little while. <laughs> Until he makes his... I mean, he bounced around, but then I think the next big thing that he did was uh, coming back at the end of uh, the main event of WrestleMania 8. Well, when that's... Uh, Sid Justice and Papa Shango were laying the old beat down. Well, after this, Warrior does... Body bag matches with The Undertaker. Mm. 
He does matches with nails. Oh my God. And then he gets canned after SummerSlam for holding up Vince. Yeah. And then he comes and back at, and then he comes back at Mania. Then he comes back at Mania. Yeah. But yeah. Can I, I mean, can I just say one thing too? I just watched this past week. I was going through the network looking for something to watch. And something I hadn't seen before and didn't realize they'd done is they had done a Legends of WrestleMania series a couple of years ago hmm. for must have been right around WrestleMania season. It was the four talking heads talking about a certain person. Hmm. So it was uh, Josh Matthews. So it must have been a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, it was after Warrior had passed away because he was back on. They talked about him like he was in good. Right. Yeah. In good with the company. So it was Josh Matthews, Booker T, who I don't know ever had anything to do with the Warrior. Sergeant Slaughter and Ted DiBiase. And. What if you wanted to see what being with the company or being out of the company does for you? Watch the self-destruction of Ultimate Warrior movie. Yeah. Which is not yeah. on the network. And then watch the Warrior Week stuff that happened after yeah. he passed. And it is a once again a 180 to what they were saying back then. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. The minute he decided to... I mean, they did the same thing with Brett, right? I mean, you know, again, like, it's that's how they roll. When you're yeah. against them, you're against them. And when you're with them, you're with them. Because when you're with them, you make them money. And when you're against them, you do not. So how do you make money off of somebody who's not with you? You trash them repeatedly. Yeah. They still employ that tactic to this very day. <laughs> right? Yeah. So not surprising. So, I mean, that that's not a terrible house show. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was pretty hot garbage. But I wouldn't say... I mean, again, I'm sure the video footage of that house show, not the easiest thing in the world to find, but. Names... But a Saturday night in Phoenix with nothing else to do. Yeah. You probably pay $20 a ticket if you got, didn't get it for free. Like. And I'll tell you, the Wrestle War card is 10 matches long, right? Um, yeah. If you don't consider the dark match, as there was a dark match, we'll talk about that in a minute. But if so, if you consider all 11 matches up until the main event, Hands down, I'm sure the WWF show was better. Oh, because this was yeah. not a great wrestling pay per view, with the the obvious exception of the main event, which is one of the best war games matches with some of the dumbest things that's ever happened in a war game match that we're gonna talk. We were talking about before the show. We've got some thoughts, but listen, let's dive into it. Wrestle War 1991, dark match. Never heard of the first guy. Let's see. The first guy. Let me see. Let me see. Eddie. 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 Guerrero. Let's. Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Is in the dark match of Wrestle War in 91. So, I mean, we're talking six years before WCW. Um, they brought in some of the Lucha Libre stars. Apparently, it was a big part of the advertising locally before the show. They said there were going to be Lucha Libre superstars there because Phoenix has a very large Latino uh, population. So we're going to try to get some of those, uh, some of uh, that demographic in. 
And uh, then it wasn't on the show. It was the dark match. And it was Eddie Guerrero before he was anybody but the Guerrero brother nobody knew. Uh, Ultraman. Wow, I'm going to mess this up. Husagal and Rudy Boy. Yep. Which, according to Meltzer, as I was reading stuff about this, were not big name guys in Lucha Libre. So this match went seven minutes and 39 seconds with Eddie and Ultraman getting the win. And for Guerrero, this was his only He went six years between stints in WCW with the exception of this one match. He started out in WCW in 89, uh, basically just a jobber. Um, I think his most notable match was he wrestled Terry Funk at something. Came back for this wrestle war in the dark match and then was not seen in WCW again until the late 1995 um, when he came back and started working with Malenko and Chris Benoit. And Uh, the only reason he came back then was he was a big part of When Worlds Collide, which was a WCW produced pay-per-view of Luter Libre matches. Uh, That was supposed to be the beginning of a big talent exchange between CMLL, I believe, and WCW. And, of course, WCW, WCWs, and messes that up and (laughs) signs Eddie Guerrero and a few of the other guys. Conan came out of that uh, and a few others as well. And it was the first sighting of uh, Professor Mike Tanay. On That's the microphone right. for WCW as That's well. That's right. We talked about that in a previous episode as well. Yeah. So we get to the main card. First up, the WCW six-man tag team <laughs> championships are on the line. Ricky Morton, Tommy Rich, and the Junkyard Dog defeat Big Cat and the State Patrol, made up of Lieutenant James Earl Wright and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, Nine minutes and 54 seconds. And would you believe it? This match got two and a half stars, which I think is two and a quarter stars too many. Because this match was horrendous. Well, first off, it's hard to take a championship seriously when they don't have belts. (laughs) Yeah, look... I don't know. Like they did. There's no belts. They don't have like, and it maybe okay. There's a trophy or there's medals or like when I say at the beginning of the podcast, you know, the, the, the podcast wrestling tag team champions of the world, everybody knows it's made up, but if it was real, you'd expect us to have a belt or a ribbon or a, a crown, or, you know, something that signifies my title. When, okay, so here's a story time. When I was in college, I went to a communications college. I went to NBC, New Brunswick Community College in Woodstock. And it's a, part of it was a communication arts college. And part of it was television broadcasting. And now I went from 97 to 99. So we're smack dab in the middle of the boom. The television guys put together a wrestling show. And for the first show, I was the commentator. For the second show, I became a wrestler. 
and I was a member of Wolf Nation X. And along with a couple of buddies of mine, we our entrance music was the Insane Clown Posse Halls of Illusion. Because how 1998 else can you get? And I was the enforcer. I, as part of this show, myself and my tag team partner won the WWF Woodstock Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championships. We had belts. They were cardboard, but we had we had belts, which puts us one up on Ricky Morton, Tommy Rich, and the junkyard dog, the world six-man tag team champions. Yep. I mean, I guess, apparently. <sighs> All right, moving on to something that was not completely hot garbage. Bobby Eaton, Brad Armstrong, go 12 minutes, 51 seconds. Bobby Eaton picks up the dub. Uh, this is a pretty good match. Meltzer gives it uh, three and a quarter stars. I liked it. I was always a big Brad Armstrong fan. Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything bad to say about Bobby Eaton. I felt like this was maybe a match that you would have rather had lead off the card and just forget that that six-man match ever happened. Uh, what did you think of this one? Uh, I enjoyed it. When I watched this show, uh, you can go back on Twitter, uh, on my Twitter, at C.D. Lawrence, and uh, you can check out, I said... Brad Armstrong is the biggest example of underrated who should have been so much more because he was the WCW. If you see seen a guy in WCW under a mask, chances are he was probably Brad Armstrong <laughs> because he was the yeah. Spider-Man ripoff Arachnaman because they thought that was going to get around copyright in Marvel. Mm-hmm. And in, instead of red and blue, he came out in purple and yellow because those were WCW's colors. Uh, what else? He was Fantasia with the with uh, the Freebirds for a while, a little bit after this. Yeah. He was Buzzkill during the Monday Night War time, ripping off his brother, Road Dog. Mm-hmm. Like if he was, if you seen somebody under a mask, and Brad Armstrong also wrestled on that card. He was probably the guy under the mask. He was yep. amazing. He should have been so much more. The problem was um, he had no charisma in front of the camera. Apparently, from what guys say, he had a lot of it behind the scenes, but uh, none of it on camera, uh, which is a problem. Uh, so, I mean, he's from a great wrestling family. Scott Armstrong, as I said, Road Dog, his dad, Bullet Bob. They were they're great wrestling family and brad everybody says brad was the best of the crew just didn't have that oomph that it that you need but between him and bobby eaton i could watch him i could watch these two go for hours they're just so good and bobby is just so smooth and another guy that doesn't really get his like he was always involved yeah whether it be with the midnight express with the dangerous alliance even him and Steven Regal as the Blue Bloods, like he was always involved with something, but yeah. never got really above as a single to kind of the TV title level. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. I so don't... which one of us is going to take which one of us is going to take the loss and try to say the names in the next one? 
Next up, we've got Itsuki Yamazaki and Mami Kitamura defeating Mickey Handa and Miss A in a six minute and 47 second tag team match that was maybe one of main event excluded. This actually might have been one of the best matches on the card. I really like this match. And please forgive me because I do not remember. Was it Miss A that was the hoss of this match? Yes. She smashed the crap out of everybody. Like, and even the fans, because when they came out, no, the fans didn't care about any of this. Like, nobody, nobody knew why these these ladies were there. And then all of a sudden, Miss A starts chopping whoever, Yamazaki or Kitamura. And just out of nowhere, the fans really started getting behind them. And then, of course, they lose. Yeah. So Miss A, um, more commonly known as Dynamite Kenzai, little known fact here that may blow your mind. She actually was part of the 1993 Wrestling Observer Match of the Year. Which is not something you see every day. No. Did you say which the match was? Uh, It was uh, Dynamite Kensai and Mayumi Osaki versus Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada. Okay. Uh, I can't tell you what it's from, but I can tell you that it was the 1993 Wrestling Observer Match of the Year. No, this match was really good. Again, in an especially in an era where you do not see good women's wrestling at all. Well, like, and especially like even in Japan to this day, yeah, women's wrestling or Joshi is not, it's not really that big a deal. No. Like it's, they have some, it, it's a little weird over there in Japan. I'm not going to, there, there's some coincidences let's say that some get lost in translation to, to the West. Yeah. But like, it was just this year that women's wrestlers were on the main card of wrestle kingdom Yeah, because the company that owns new Japan also now owns a company called stardom. And then we're seeing some come over from other companies to AEW like Riho. Yep. And you, we saw Aja Kong for a little bit and um, the Freddie Mercury impersonator and uh, Shida come over as well. Like she's back over in Japan right now. So there's always been a subset of a subset of a subset of yeah. women's wrestling in Japan. And it's always been hard hitting and it's always been good if you can find it for that style. But to drop it in the middle of a WCW pay-per-view in 1991, eh, maybe not necessarily. And again, this might be part of one of those um, talent exchanges that WCW was going on. Actually, it would have been because they kept talking on this show about how they were heading to Japan for the next show as a WCW New Japan Super Show. Right. So... We'll see how and, uh, and WWF at this point has nothing to do with women's wrestling. We talked about this during the um, the WrestleMania one 
was it the WrestleMania one or WrestleMania three episode um, where they're in this dry spell where they actually don't have a women's match on a pay-per-view until WrestleMania 10. Yeah. Which is still three years away from this. Um, so yeah, no, it was, a, it was a really good match. Like I said, main event aside, uh, probably the match of the night. Uh, I wish I could say the same about the next match, but I can't. Uh, it's D- Dustin Rhodes uh, defeating Buddy Landell. Six minutes and 33 seconds. Listen. I <laughs> Listen, I like Dustin Rhodes. I mean, he's still around to this day. He can still go in the ring. But these guys had the chemistry of a grape and a walrus. Well, this uh, is Dustin like, Rhodes when he couldn't put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Like, Dusty Greener. Greener than the golf course grass uh, is Dustin Rhodes at this point. He had, they had just come back from WWF where Dustin had, they had the match at the Royal Rumble with the the Dusty and Dustin versus Virgil and Ted DiBiase, which was more of a backdrop, I think, to start the Virgil, um, Ted DiBiase thing, I think. Yeah. Um, and then they disappeared and geez, this is only a month later. Yeah. So no, they, no they, 90 days back in those times, but no 90 days. No. Uh, so here's Dustin on a WCW pay-per-view and he's literally greener than stuff, greener oh, yeah. than goose stuff. Yeah. Um, and is, is there anything more WCW than having two guys nicknamed nature boy on the same pay-per-view? <laughs> And two guys that look the same. Uh, yeah. Blonde hair. And I mean, apparently there was some heat at one time between Flair and Landell. And because Landell was stole the, well, didn't steal, but took on the nature boy persona that Flair stole from Buddy Rogers. And like, but every time Flair went somewhere, he took Buddy Landell with him. Buddy yeah. Landell ended up in WWE for a short run. Well, was supposed I was to have- say. He was he was actually fired shortly after this pay-per-view um, for allegedly blowing snot on a hotel manager. And that brought and then he bounced around everywhere. He went to the Global Wrestling Federation. Later on in 91, he went to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He went to the USWA for a couple of years. He went back to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And then in 95, he shows up in WWF on and off for a few years. Um, he yeah, picked and up he a, was supposed to have a good He picked up a win there. on Raw over over Bob Holly. Uh, he defeated Matt Hardy in 1995, long before Matt Hardy was anybody, on an episode um, of Superstars. And actually, he had a WWF championship match that was shown on Mania on January 13th, 1996, uh, against Bret the Hitman Hart, um, which was a match that was actually taped before he suffered a severe injury uh, falling outside of an arena um, and tearing his quad. He was out of action for six months. And then this match aired after. And he had a, like, they were, he did a pay-per-view match at one point. Like, he was supposed to have a decent run, I think, around the time that Jerry Jarrett was coming up and helping out with Vince when Vince was getting taken to court or taken to, to yeah, something like that. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with Buddy Landell. He's a good guy and he was good in, 
good in USWA. He was good in Smoky Mountain. Yep. He would, you know, he, on that regional scale, he could be a top guy. But when it got any bigger than that, Buddy had an as as Dusty has said and others have said, Buddy had a way of getting in the way of Buddy. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what. He also has the distinction of being first. He's first. He would come well, back. He well, I'm going to tell you at what. He would come back to WCW for one match in 1997, and he became the first victim. The first victim of who you might ask? The first victim of Bill Goldberg. He was Goldberg's first win in his first match. Really? There you go. Buddy Landell, June 24th, 1997, was Bill Goldberg's first match. Hmm, That must have been on, that couldn't have been on TV. I don't think it was. No, because his first I also don't think it actually, I don't think it actually counts in uh, Goldberg's um, streak. Streak either. Yeah, because the first streak match was Hugh Morris. Yes, that was the first one. So this was, uh, I got, listen, now I got the details for you. I'm quick on the Okay, I need this. I can't believe we're talking talking about Buddy Landell. WCW, Dalton, Georgia, June 24th, 1997. It was a Saturday night taping. Okay. Bill Goldberg defeated Buddy Landell. Also on the card, Hugh Morris defeated Johnny Attitude. Conan defeated Rick Grange. Meng defeated the Renegade. (laughs) Jeff Jarrett defeated Scotty Riggs. Amongst many other things that would happen. Because that was, you said that was 97, right? Yep. So after Nitro started, so that was when Saturday night wasn't Saturday night anymore. Now, in one of the, listen, uh, here's where I'm going to have to go back because now I'm reading the Bill Goldberg stuff on Wikipedia, but according to the history of WCW, or it's actually the history of WWE, but it has WCW section, Bill Goldberg actually wrestled the night before. So maybe, maybe um, Wikipedia. So what you're saying, so what you're saying is Buddy Landell couldn't may not have been number one, but he could have been number two, which it wouldn't be the first time that he has been referred yes. to as number two in his career. Because the night before was Nitro from the Macon, Georgia, June 23rd, 1997. Main event was DDP defeating WCW tag team champion Scott Hall via disqualification when Randy Savage interferes. Um, Bill Goldberg defeated Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. So you want to talk about, listen, this, this man, the connections to this show. All right. We've talked about Buddy Landell enough. And listen, at this point, I know what you're thinking. I really want to turn this off. Well, the people who own the arena were thinking the same thing in this next match because the power would actually go out in the match between the young pistols, Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers and the Royal family. Jack Victory and Rip Morgan. Yes, the power went out in the middle of the match. It was 12 minutes and 50 seconds, and it was hot, hot, hot garbage. It was brutal. Oh, it it was horrible. 
So do you remember the Young Pistols' first gimmick in WCW? Oh, was it was it like the the, the wild eyed Southern boys or something? The like wild eyed Southern boys that came out with in the <laughs> Confederate flag. Oh my! Like, how did these guys stand a chance? Yeah, and again, Steve Armstrong. We like, like I like Steve Armstrong. Is there like, a bad Armstrong? I don't think so. I don't think like that's the either. funniest part of it all. Is that the best known Armstrong was probably the worst wrestler, but had all of the charisma. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. can I tell you my favorite part about Tracy Smothers since we're, you know, we're going off on tangents on this one because I listen to a movie podcast as well. And you can always tell how good the movie is by how much the guys talk about everything else surrounding the movie. Right. Kind of like this episode. So what you're saying is that obviously we're indicating that this show is absolute hot dog water. Pretty much. And we're barely, um, we're, all, we're barely half done. So Tracy's mother's unfortunately passed away last year. The age 58. He did. He was one of the guys that Cornette had in Smoky Mountain. And he would put Tracy's mother's up against New Jack. So. Tracy Smothers did a promo, and he spelled thug about New Jack. This is not going where you think it's going. Oh, okay, good. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> How do you spell thug? T is for terrible. H is for hell. U is for ugly. And G is for jail, because a thug can't spell. <laughs> My favorite Tracy Smothers story. Oh. Which is more entertaining than the young, wild-eyed, pistol Southern boys uh, against uh, the royal family. Jack Victory, you've seen an ECW after this. He was Steve Carino's heater in the uh, wheelchair for a while. Right. Yeah. That's right. So up next, two WCW names, Terry Taylor with Alexandra York as he was the first member of the York Foundation as mm -hmm. Terrence Taylor, and he defeated the Z-Man, which for some reason was a no-disqualification match, and they did that in 10 minutes and 59 seconds. Listen, for those of you who are not familiar with who Miss Alexandra York is, you may remember her more fondly as Marlena, the ever mysterious valet of the very bizarre gold dust <laughs> or terry i think terry, terry was probably yes. more long you would yes, like terry a longer run for terry was around for a bit too um yeah listen i mean I, I, not gonna listen not gonna lie but this actually wasn't a bad match Com when you compare it to the rest of this absolute crap card um, this was not a terrible match. Um, I mean, again, that's saying a lot. Like, the bar's pretty low when you got Terry Taylor and the Z-Man out there. But this was a pretty good match. I mean, they, they went back and forth. You know, it's, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's eh, because it's stuck. It's 10 minutes in the middle of this very over-bloated card. 
Um, but yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, again, it stuck out to me as one of the better matches on the card, I think for sure. So Terry Taylor or Terrence Taylor also had another name in professional wrestling. <laughs> Oh, the Red Rooster, baby. Yep. And I was like, is that it? Is that the point? No, no, the point, no, because I wanted to get to this, is that one of the greatest things I've ever heard, went back when I listened to Conrad Thompson podcasts, was Conrad taking podcast Pritchard out to the woodshed for him saying, that the only reason the red rooster didn't get over was because Terry didn't believe in it. He didn't believe he was the cock of the walk, which may be on the list of top five, just absolute total BS that Pritchard's ever told in his life. And that's saying something. Yeah. His laundry list of BS is pretty. Now this match was no disqualification. The next match should have been no disqualification because it was an amazing little run. It went six minutes and 21 seconds. It was Big Van Vader against the bad man from Borger, Texas, Stan Hansen. Is this your first run in with Stan Hansen? Yeah, probably. Stan, Stan was, at, at this point is 53, by the way. Yep. He is. He is a former AWA champion. Uh, his big money years were spent a lot in Japan. He come over to the States. He won the AWA championship. Showed up at the arena one night. Vern Gagne told him that he was going to lose the title that night. Stan picked up his bags, said some very un- uh, cooperative words and told Vern to do things that I don't think are anatomically possible and left. And when they sent a legal letters to him to send the belt back, he did. Unfortunately, it was unusable because Stan had uh, run it over with his truck three or four times (laughs) and then sent it back to the AWA because he didn't want to lose to I think that was to Zabisco when when things were really going downhill. Uh, And uh, he didn't want to lose because his big money was still in Japan at that point. Right. Yeah, I mean, he held uh, one, two, like you're looking at 20 plus titles in Japan. Yeah, and he was one of the guys that he was a big jump when he left all Japan or sorry, when he left new Japan and went to all Japan back in the day, um, it was a big deal for him. Him and bruiser Brody were a big deal in Japan. Uh, him and, uh, Abdullah, the butcher Stan really was the first American along with the funks to be taken in as a fan favorite in Japan, because as a cowboy, that's how, Back in that time, a lot of Japanese people saw Americans was as cowboys. So you had guys like the Funks and Stan Hansen that would come in as cowboys or were cowboys. Yeah. And the Japanese people would take to them 
And to the point where later on in his career, Stan would actually dress with the Japanese wrestlers, which was not normal for the Americans that came. Yeah. So a little bit of additional context on the AWA stuff. Um, He was supposed to lose to Bachwinkle that night. Um, That was who he was billed to wrestle against. Hanson claims it was Giant Baba who made the call for him not to wrestle. Um, So the story goes, Hanson called up Giant Baba, who was the All Japan Pro Wrestling president at the time, to ask him if it was okay if he lost the title. Baba said, no, it is not. Um, I've already billed you and booked you matches over here as the AWA champion. You cannot lose. So Hanson refused to drop the title and he was stripped. Bachwinkle was awarded the AWA championship and then everything else that happened after that happened after that. He went back to Japan with the belt, like you said, ran it over with his truck like a hillbilly. And here we are. And again, this match against Vader, pointless. <laughs> For, yeah. I mean, just two big dudes. Who, you know, we're going to beat the crap out of each other. They throw the referee out of the ring so that it ends in a DQ. Um, uh, like, because Vader's, Vader's thing at the time was his big, his big deal was in Japan. He became Big Van Vader in New Japan yep. with yep. Anoki. So him and, and Stan to, together, neither one of them were going to lose. So I don't know why you booked the match, but you make it a disqualification. One thing I always liked about Stan and you talk guys talk about wrestling him is that apparently his, his finisher was the Lariat. Uh, they called him the Lariat Hanson, which was like clothesline from hell kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, except he'd just stand there and throw the arm. Well, the reason he would do that is because without his glasses, he was blind as a bat. Yeah. So the guy would come running at him and Stan would just stick the arm out and throw it. And if it hits you, it hits you. And if it hits you hard, sorry. Yeah. And one, two, three. Like you knew if you got hit with the lariat, you laid down and game over. Yep. Well, we're getting close to game over here. Let's move on to our final three matches of the show. First up, we have a United States championship match. The total package before he was the total package, but maybe he was the total package. Who knows at this time, but one of WCW's bright and shining stars, Lex Luger defeats Dan Spivey retaining the U S championship 12 minutes and 52 seconds. Again, (sighs) 13 minutes of Lex Luger and Dan Spivey. Uh, But here's the thing. It wasn't a horrible match. I mean, like, here's the thing. You have to lower your expectations when you're dealing with Lex Luger and Dan Spivey, okay? I mean, you can only, you know... Yeah, Spivey's got knees of spaghetti at this point. I mean, listen, he's only a few years away from being whale and mercy. So, like, yeah. let's let's give the guy a little bit, like, let's cut him a bit of a break here. Um, hey, listen, don't be, don't be dissing whale and mercy. I and, loved that character. And at this point, again, I, I think so the story goes. A, a lot of people at this time will maintain the only reason Spivey was getting matches in WCW was because that Stan Hansen uh, was dragging him along. Stan Hansen and Dan Spivey at this point were teaming together in Japan. Um, and they had a couple of runs, um, actually a few months just before this, they actually had just dropped 
the AJPW Tag Team Championships. They would get them back in April. But a lot of people would say at this time that the only reason why Dan Spivey was around is because Stan Hansen said, well, if if I'm coming over to do matches for you, Dan Spivey's coming too. Spivey had had a WCW run before that as one of the skyscrapers with uh, Sid Vicious. And when Sid got hurt, then there was this guy named Mean Mark Callis who became a skyscraper and then was never heard from again, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's really no reason for Spivey to be in the United States Championship picture. I think, again, maybe this is just because it's a secondary title and nobody really cares. But, like, he didn't really earn a, you know, he didn't really earn a um, championship shot, how he became the number one contender, whatever. But, again, for for what you expected from a Lex Luger Dan Spivey 12-minute match, not as bad as I expected it to be. Um, I, again, I'm not quite sure what Meltzer was smoking. Dude gave it three and three quarter stars. Um, whew, that's generous. <laughs> uh, like, like again, that's that's generous as hell. But it, not, again, not awful. This is this is a little bit above board of what you would expect from a Lex Luger match in 1991, which is to say, not much. Speaking of expecting, not much. Next up. We've got the tag team championship match. The Freebirds, the this is the Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes represented Freebirds taking on Doom, Butch Reed, and Ron Simmons. And I do believe this is a title change. Six minutes and 56 seconds. Kind of. Sort of. Now, I talked in here. We've got we've got too many people at ringside. First of all, you got the yeah. free birds out here with Big Daddy Dink, and like, <laughs> which I can't believe is a name because hey, obviously it's Oliver Humperdink, but yeah. he's being billed as Big Daddy Dink at this point, which is yeah. horrendous. You've got DDP out there. You've got Teddy Long out there. Like, well, the better part, best part of it is is DDP wasn't out there. He came out at the for the entrance went backstage leaving Humperdink at ringside and then comes back out for the win with the Diamond Dolls. So don't forget DDP's got the Diamond Dolls with him too. Yeah. So let's talk about the the title controversy here because it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it is so ridiculous what they do with these tag titles. Like, again, is this, not- is, this is such a WCW story you're about to tell. So it's not even just the tag team titles. So this took place on February 24th. Yep. Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, Doom, split up in Gainesville, Georgia at TV tapings. Mm -hmm. Those happened on February 5th. Mm -hmm. Now, the last time I checked, February 5th took place before (laughs) February 24th. That I can confirm uh, that is correct. Okay. So, but the show that they taped didn't air until March 2nd. Right. So, the Doom continued to team up on the house shows up until the February 24th pay-per-view. Yeah. Now, the Steiner brothers 
won the world tag team title. Stay with me on this. Um, oh, this I'm, I'm I'm with you. I feel bad. I may get confused, but but I'm I'm there with you with, with you currently. So at this point, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons are the world tag team champions. Correct. They've split up. Yes. Three weeks ago. Right. But it doesn't air for another week. Yes. Kinda. Sort of. Sort of. Now, the Steiner brothers. Won the world not, yes, they won. They won the. Win they've the won the title. world titles from, from not the, the tag team champions. Yep, they won the world <laughs> titles, tag team titles from the Freebirds Four. on February the 18th, <laughs> which, if I remember correctly, is before February 24th. So you so so to summarize for those of you who are playing along at home, on this <laughs> pay per view, Doom. Drops the tag team championships to the fabulous Freeboots, who, who six days earlier had already future past dropped the titles to the Steiner brothers. That's essentially so, what happened. Yeah, the Freebirds had a title reign of negative six days. <laughs> Which, by say, the way, didn't air until the 9th of March. Yeah, exactly. And now that we talk about this match, I'm not sure if the breakup that they taped on February 5th even aired. Because they did the breakup after this tag match. Yeah. I don't think it did ever. Air. I so, got to yeah, say, I got to say, I want to go back just for a second, too, because talking about this belt controversy makes me think of the belt controversy we forgot to talk about at the end of the Lex Luger match. Um, Nikita Koloff, who at this point was retired, oh, comes out to present Luger with the new United States Championship. But you know how that ends. Oh, Koloff's not retired. He pulls yeah. a Mark Henry, baby, he's not coming home, and he attacks Lex Luger. So we get back-to-back matches. I mean, obviously, the, the Luger title stuff is screwy. This is only screwy in our minds now, looking back in the past, because it all made sense to the people who were not watching at home. Um, but yeah, this was some absolute horrendous train wreck timeline booking and again this this, let's let me let me put a bow on it by saying this match was awful yeah oh yeah terrible i'm like like i'm glad neither of these teams came out of this as the tag champs because they were this match was garbage well and the only way this match actually could have probably taken place is in the multiverse of madness i don't disagree the so, reason why we're here. Oh, oh. Okay, but no, no. But you, you one other thing. On that, for the love of I want to wrap up. No, I want to wrap a bow on the Nikita Koloff thing because I oh. don't know when we're going to talk about him again. Probably never. Probably never. My favorite Arn Anderson story is talking about being on the plane, Crockett's plane, with it's Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and Nikita Koloff, who the everybody else on the plane knows is scott simpson from atlanta georgia yeah on the plane nikita is talking in the gimmick voice and Arn turns around to him and says scott we all knew you when you were lifting weights in atlanta you can stop being russian for a while (laughs) oh god love it love it so we're gonna talk. Uh, I got. I gotta say. By, I gotta say. By the way, you want to talk about um, some pretty crazy uh, connections. 
Scott Simpson, Nikita Koloff, went to school, Minneapolis, Minnesota, known wrestling hotbed of Minneapolis, Minnesota. The high school he went to. West Robinson. Robinsdale Robins- High School. Robinsdale, yes. Also known for Kurt Henning, John Nord, a.k.a. Uh, 95,000 different names. Berserker. Uh, the Berserker was, was one yeah. of the more common. The Ravishing Rick Rude. And the Z-Man, Tom Zank. There's two others. Three others. Hawk and Animal. Oh, that's right. And uh, Barry jo- Darso. Barry Darso, John Laurinaitis, because he's Animal's brother. Yeah, so that, listen, who's taken on that? And all about the same time, too. Like, within about a two- or three-year period, they were all in high school. Who's taken on that football team? Not I. I can tell you that much. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Yeah, we're here. The main event. The Four Horsemen. Ric Flair, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious, and Larry Zabisco, who's not a horseman. But Aaron Anderson hurt Zabisco filling in not a horseman but he's in there anyway okay that's fine whatever taking which on everybody which everybody thought and even i thought watching this because i i hadn't quite remembered exactly i knew how things kind of went but i couldn't remember the actual finish of the match yeah. and you see zabisco <laughs> on the four horsemen lineup and you're okay yeah he's like he's like the guy that's taking the fall here oh yeah they're taking on Sting, Brian Pillman, and the soon-to-be but not really past-present-future WCW Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott Steiner. It's a War Games match. We got the double cage. It goes 2150. It's a five-star Meltzer special. The Horsemen pick up the win. <clears throat> I surrender. The horsemen pick up the win by it's classified as a knockout. Okay. So let's put it that way. It's classified okay. as a knockout. After Brian Pillman is unable to continue, after Sid Vicious destroys his neck with one of the ugliest power bombs you will ever see in your life. So let's set set the stage here. Yes, let's let's work up to this because we got I want to spend some time talking about the finish because of how crappy the finish is. But yeah, so that's, so that's, Pillman's hurt. Oh, Pillman's we're going right to that. Yeah. Oh no no no. Being, oh no, he's coming. He came in. Yes, he came into it hurt. He was hurt on. I believe they said he was hurt on a show the day before, right? The Saturday, the Saturday night show, because at that time Saturday night was the A show for WCW. That's right. He so was hurt on Saturday he gets, night. He gets the shoulder. The Horsemen have hurt him. Um, so he's angry. So the beginning of the match, Sting and the Steiner brothers are, they're all talking about who's going to go in first and Pillman runs in against, uh, Wyndham. I think it was, that started for the horseman, right? Uh, yeah. Wyndham was first. So Pillman runs in and they start now, of course, war games. It's five minutes on the first stage. So it's one-on-one for five minutes, and then we run into the coin toss, which I don't believe a face team in WCW ever won the coin toss. It's amazing how the bad guys won the coin toss every time. I think Nick Patrick might have been on the take. Yeah, I would say. 
I, because I even in the war games in, in WWE, they've even screwed that up where in one of the women's ones, they had the face team win the, uh, win the coin toss. And I'm like, but that messes up your anyway. So three minutes, three minutes, three minutes, three minutes. Everybody is in. So that begins the next stage of the match, the match beyond, because the match can't end until everybody's Every, until in. everybody's in. Yeah. So the match beyond begins. If you haven't seen a WCW War Games match, it's two rings, cage all around it, with a top. Yeah. The top is probably seven feet tall. Only about seven only seven feet. feet. Yeah, it was seven feet. Okay, so it's seven feet tall. Hmm. Lots of action going on all around. It was a really, it's a really, really good War Games match. Pillman gets taken to one side of the ring with Sid Vicious. Mm-hmm. I'll let you take it from there. So <sighs> they go they go at it for a little bit. Pillman's obviously worn down at this point. Now we all know Sid Vicious is is horrible, right? Like let's just let's just admit it. The guy can't wrestle worth a damn. He broke his leg in the ring. He shit himself in the ring. Like the guy, the guy's got some bad luck. I don't think. But he conclusively, ever, I don't think he ever. He's he's six foot nine. Yeah, six foot up. nine. Yeah. Now so, remember, we've said the cage is seven feet tall. Now what Sid I will, is six foot nine. Now what I will advise you all to do is if you do not have the WWE Network, because if you do, I recommend, as I always recommend, you go back and. Watch this show in its entirety on on the YouTube's, please. But if you are on the network, if you do not have the network, WWE has a two or three minute clip of the ending of this match. And why am I bringing that up? And why is that significant? Is because when where the camera is positioned, on the apron of the ring. When Sid is standing. So you guys know what Sid's like, right? He puts the guy's head down between his legs. He stands upright. And the camera is sort of positioned just off the back of his right shoulder. His head is almost touching the top of the cage. Immediately you know something is not going to go right here. So Sid goes for the powerbomb after standing there for a minute. Immediately when he pulls Pillman up, as you know, normally Pillman's legs would, you know, would split Sid's head. Sid will do the patented release. You land on your flat back. It looks like it really hurts, but you know what? You're a professional. You take it properly. Pillman is not able to rotate as his feet firmly plant against the top of the cage. So when you're watching it, if you pause it correctly, Sid is holding Pillman by the just below the waist, kind of almost around his belly. His Pillman's butt is directly in Sid's face. His feet are on the top of the cage. Essentially, he's in reverse tombstone position at the moment. He's in belly-to-back tombstone, let's call it. 
Now, normally you would think, oh, crap. Maybe I should, like, set him back down as if he's trying to reverse it. We'll do an audible. I'll beat him. I'll hit him with a back strike, and I'll try something different. No. No, 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 no. What Sid does instead is in that position I just described, right? Picture it. You got his arms wrapped around him. His butt's in your face. His feet are on the top of the cage. His neck is down by your crotch. Belly to back tombstone. He goes straight to the mat and lands directly on the back of Brian Pillman's neck. And again, I'm looking at a screenshot of it here. When Pillman contacts the mat, it's directly on the back of his neck. His legs are like, he's like a letter C, but the top of the C is smushed. So it's like a flat J. (laughs) Like, you knew immediately it's not good. Now, so that's it, now, right? No, now that's here's it. the thing you would think. So, a couple of the referees come over. Pillman looks completely out of it. Sid, without so much as a pause, picks him up by the hair and goes for another. Now, there's a segment here, and you can't really hear it, but when Sid puts him back in the powerbomb position, because yes. He's going to go for another powerbomb. He's looking at the referee, and the referee is gesturing at him, and the referee's holding the cage. So I think the referee's trying to tell him, what the frig are you doing? Like, he, he might not be okay, because there was no time for anybody to check on Pillman. So this well, time... No, because the doors are locked and there's no way... The, the conceit of the match is there's no way in, no way out. That's right. So now Sid goes for the powerbomb, but Pillman instead who is at this point looking very limp, is at least smart enough to compress his legs. So his legs go up over Sid's shoulders. Sid adjusts his left hand, puts his left hand on Pillman's back like he's a baby, picks him up, while in doing so, hits Pillman's head face first against one of the steel beams that makes up the frame of the cage and slams Pillman viciously to the mat again. So, so now you you must think, okay, first of all, here's what you think. Pillman's dead or yeah. paralyzed. He doesn't move. Um, Sid's wandering around, um, you know, looking victorious. Arn's yelling from the outside of the cage. Ask him, ask him. Here comes resident... WCW medical doctor El Gigante, better known as Giant <laughs> Gonzalez, known known medical professional, the seven foot eight El Gigante, which who, who we have seen earlier in the night beat up Polly dangerously, aka Paul Heyman, for wearing a Mexican hat when he's Argentinian. Yes, I wish I was making that up. Now, he comes out, and they said he ripped the door off the cage when clearly the door was open for him by the referee. He enters the ring. Now, at this point, all the other men are over in the other ring, the left ring from the hard cam. Nick Patrick jumps in with Giant Gonzalez. or Oh, I'm going to keep calling that, but Eligante. Eligante calls for the bell. He's saying, listen, this man can't continue again. El Gigante, noted WCW medical professional. Now, 
He calls for the bell. The match is over. So a couple of Pillman's teammates, I think Sting comes over first, concerned for his health. So obviously, El Gigante does what any normal medical professional would do. He drags Pillman to the cage door, picks him up like a baby, and carries him to the back. So here's my thing. Obviously, the finish works out. So Sting's team doesn't have to take a loss. They take a loss, but none of them get pinned. It furthers along the Pillman versus the Horseman storyline. But... Dear sweet Jesus, this was horrible. Well, they, yes, my, there is no... Because in War Games, there is no pin. for In these versions of oh, War Games. Oh, that's right, that's right. They are submit or surrender only. Right. Which totally gets thrown out when the referee comes in and stops it. Which yeah. is not supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah, this just, is, um, just like, and then the, here, the best part is the cameras literally like, cause at this point we don't know if Pillman has been severely injured or not. It turns out he was not, but like Eligante doesn't even support his neck when he picks him up like a baby and the camera's <laughs> right there. Yeah. Right. And like, so, I mean, I hate using this because it reminds me of current day WWE so much. But this was a great match. Five-star match. I don't disagree. I think it was an amazing War Games match. But the finish was horrible because Sid botched it completely. Like, again, you need to have a little bit of friggin' awareness to know you do not have the room there to powerbomb somebody. That could have ended. If Pillman wasn't smart enough to tuck his neck, we're having a different conversation. Oh, if he was if he wasn't smart enough to to tuck his neck and be lucky, we are having a Tyson Kid muscle buster conversation. Yeah. Because again, and again, I, I encourage you to at least go to YouTube and watch this video. It's only two and a half minutes long. But we'll again, put the link, we'll put the link up on Twitter and maybe we'll put yeah. it in the show notes too. Yeah. But again, that position I described to you, the, the belly to back tombstone. Before Sid, Sid is starting his downward descent and Pillman is hanging there neck down. Like in almost like a pile driver-esque position with the exception of there's nothing between his head and the mat. Like if it wasn't for some quick body positioning adjustments, he's dead, paralyzed at, paralyzed at best. Yeah. Um, so a really horrible, scary finish. Ob like, again, luckily Pillman ends up being okay. Uh, but it was a, it, the, the finish of this match just ruined it for me. Um, as good as it was, you can't watch that finish and not come away with that having taken away a lot from how that match was, in my opinion. Um, he was off the week following. Yeah. Uh, and supposed to rest, he will... And he was going to be x-rayed again to see when he can come back. Uh, he was back not long after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, let's be totally honest about it, not necessarily Pillman known for his non-usage of prescription and non-prescription medications. Yeah. 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 Um, 220, but... yeah. 221 yeah. people uh, on the uh, Wrestling Observer gave the show a thumbs up. Six gave it a thumbs down. 
nobody gave it a thumbs in between. Uh, they said the best match was the War Games match, and the worst match was the vaunted six-man tag team title match between uh, Junkyard Dog, Ma- Morton, and Rich against the State Patrol and uh, Mr. Hughes, the big cat. Where are you putting your thumb on this one? Oh, I think it's th- uh, it's thumbs up. There was nothing egregious yeah. on this card. Like, there was nothing that made me think I've wasted 30 years of my life as a wrestling fan. Mm. Like I do most times I watch Raw. I think um, I, I was, I'll go thumbs up too. I think up until the main event, I was probably somewhere in the thumbs down to thumbs in the middle range. Um, but the main event brought me back. There was some good wrestling on it, maybe better than than I remembered. Uh, Terrence Taylor and the Z-Man was pretty good. The women's match was great. Bobby Eaton, Brad Armstrong was great. Um, so, yeah, I, I would go thumbs up. I it, It's not a banger by any stretch of the imagination. It's not an all-timer. Um, but a, a solid, well-rounded pay-per-view for what you would expect from WCW in 1991. Well, how about you tell us what you think? You can check us out and let us know on Twitter. The show is at Ringside Rewind, and I am at C.D. Lawrence, and he is at Snaggle J. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ringside Rewind. We appreciate you if you're listening live on anchor.fm slash ringside rewind, ringsiderewind.com, or in your podcast app of choice on Android or iOS. We appreciate your listening time. Thank you so very, very much. Make sure you subscribe, recommend it to a friend, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your uncle, tell your cousin Jimmy, who you know might be a secret John Cena fan, but that's okay. We appreciate those guys too. We'll be back in the future with some great hard hitting, maybe better wrestling, maybe less, you know, WCW in their heyday episodes. Who knows? Maybe we'll do another wrestle war just to piss all of y'all off because that's maybe we're going to go full heel turn. Only time will tell on the next episode of Ringside Rewind. Again, we appreciate you very, 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 very much. And until next time, be kind and rewind.